Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Generation Y ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Apple Podcasts. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, and social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, for accepting payments to manage inventory. It has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one true source. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash geny, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash geny to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash geny. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Audible. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. You got bestsellers, new releases, and mysteries and thrillers. I'm currently listening to A Rip in Heaven by Janine Cummings. It's a true story that happened in April 1991 about some teenagers, family members that were violently attacked. Two would perish, and the one surviving one would end up being accused of the crime. But the reality of what happened is much worse. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. From Wondery. How you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing good, Justin. How are you? I am doing great. Most of our listeners know how this podcast came about, but I'm going to tell a little story real quick. So those of you that don't know, this might be news to you. Those of you that know, sorry, bear with it. I actually got called in for, uh, you know, for jury duty and it opened my eyes to how the system actually works. And like you, Aaron, you'd watched, you know, Law and Order or CSI or any TV show. And we think or we have expectations of how things should go, right? You would think, yes. If you have a problem, you, you call the police and the police come and they resolve it. If somebody's murdered, it gets investigated and then they put the bad guy away. And, you know, if it goes to trial, hey, you know, the truth comes out. All these things are our expectation of how the system works. And it's that, I don't know, illusion of safety, if you will. It's the illusion that other people share your concerns, that they're on your side, that if the title of their job is detective and you have a case for them, that they will care. Now, we should say there are those out there. There are plenty of detectives out there that when they get a case across their desk, they devote their entire life to it. 
And we've seen this. So we've seen it when we watch 2020 or Dateline. We've seen these cases covered and we can see the passion in the eyes of these detectives as they talk about the timeline and how they stuck with it to the very end. We know it happens, but unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, DoorDash. If you're looking to get more from delivery, you can get it with DashPass by DoorDash. Plus, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. DashPass is only $9.99 a month. You get special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, and with DashPass, you get $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. I use it all the time. Sometimes I just can't leave the house. I have too much going on. I got to edit. And, uh... I'll get my food delivered today. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and more. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Use code GENY24. That code again, GENY24. Subject to change, terms apply. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. So with that, what are we talking about tonight, Aaron? Tonight, we're talking about the murder of Lauren McCluskey, who was a student at the University of Utah. And this case happened in October of 2018. I went into this case, Aaron, uh, trying to be very even keel, very uh, unbiased, with the intent of just going over the facts and the evidence. Um, I'm going to try to keep that tone, but I'm sure our listeners, as we paint this picture and story, will understand how hard it is to not get upset about this story in this case. Let's talk a bit about Lauren Jennifer McCluskey. She was 21. She was originally from California. Her parents, Matt and Jill McCluskey, had moved from Berkeley, California, to Pullman, Washington, when Lauren was just 18 months old because they had been offered tenure positions at Washington State University. And Jill was an economics professor. Matt was a physics professor. They also had a son named Ryan and a cat named Victory. Things about Lauren... She entered her first Junior Olympic Association track meet when she was eight and set records in high jump, long jump, and 400-meter run, and at nine was told that she qualified for nationals. So obviously athletically gifted here and had set multiple records in track and field. 
In high school, she continued with her athletics as well as her education. In fact, she set the Pullman High record for the 100-meter hurdles. She was very much into animals. She loved them. She volunteered at the Whitman County Humane Society. One of the jobs that she had was to help socialize cats so that they would be more adoptable. I find this adorable because I'm a cat person, and there are definitely cats that are just, they're wild. But um, I can see how she really put herself and her energy into helping animals and helping people. You know, there's nothing like uniting a pet with a person. It's, uh, it's pretty magical at times. And she had her own cats, Fuzzy and Victory. After high school, she completed her Pullman High School senior project at the WSU Center for Animal Wellbeing. And she also volunteered for the Special Olympics and the YMCA. Graduated with honors. And so she went on to the University of Utah. Most people that we talk about um, and on most other true crime podcasts you always have great things to say. They all walked in and lit up a room. They were all great people. But she really was. Everything in her life was to give to others, to try to make others feel good. And Lauren was uh, actually pretty shy. She wasn't the most outgoing person, but she was highly intelligent and very direct. But just because you're a direct person or just because you're an analytical person doesn't mean that you know how to stand up for yourself if somebody's trying to take advantage of you. You said that she spent a lot of time making other people feel good about themselves. She was an intern at Cortland Place Retirement Community during that time. And actually, her grandparents lived there. And during that time, she designed and completed a picture directory that had stories about the people. And so as part of that, she had interviewed all the residents and talked with them and put together this book that everyone got a copy of. And so they could look through it and see the other people that lived there, find out more about them. Everybody loved it because what did it do? It made everyone feel good and it made them feel more cohesive as a community. So that's just an example, but it is true that uh, she did have that ability but at this time, Lauren had met a guy. What do we know about this guy at the time? Well, uh, Lauren is going out with her roommate, Alex, and they're going to a bar called the London Bell. It's kind of a swanky club, I guess, that has red velvet couches, the cool music, a dance floor, uh, overpriced drinks. And Alex agreed to go with her. She just wanted to go out and cut loose a little bit. While they were in line to get in, the bouncer, the doorman, took an interest in her. They talked a little bit. And once inside the bar, all the tables were full. So they wandered around looking for a place to sit. This is why I don't go to clubs anymore, Aaron. It's just loud and there's, you know, it's a very inconvenient thing. Uh, <laughs> but. The bouncer came over and started taking them to open seats, like helping them out. Lauren, you know, was like, that's cool. This guy's nice. And she thought he was kind of good looking too. Lauren is five foot eight and the bouncer was very tall, very built. And Lauren said, hey, I'm going to give this guy my number. Something she doesn't do because she's a little shy. She's not that outgoing. So she grabbed the napkin, 
wrote down her number and uh, she said, we're going to give this to him on our way out. And they leave. Once they start talking, he says that his name is Sean Fields and that he's in his mid-20s. And things moved rather quickly. She said that Sean wanted to hang out with her and they started going out on dates. But he would instruct her to wear jeans and a t-shirt. And he gave her permission to invite friends to the bar. So right off the bat, it's not like, oh, we're getting along and everything's great. Right off the bat, this guy's saying, yeah, you can come out, but you have to wear this. And he would always do things at her place. He would never invite her back to his place. So it's kind of weird, but she's not seeing the red flags here. He hung out at her place on the campus, and he had told her that he was only a bouncer part-time and that it was just doing that to pay for his, his associate's degree in computer science at Salt Lake City Community College. So she thinks, hey, he's putting himself through school. He's a nice guy, but he's constantly hanging out at her place and then telling her what to do. But she was still excited about him, and she even called her mother to talk about Sean and her first date with him. He had given her roses. She told her mother that Sean was 28, which for Jill seemed possibly too old, but Lauren was really happy with him at this point. Jill, I guess, probably noticed that and thought, well, I don't want to burst her bubble. Let's just see what happens. And the more she hung out with him... And the more she told her friends about him, the more her friends were thinking, what's going on here? Because if he texted her, she would have to text back immediately. Otherwise, it would upset him. If she was driving, she had to pull over to the side of the road to reply to him. And he would always be asking her, where are you? Who are you with? Real possessive stuff. He would tell her, you can't go downtown with your friends tonight. There's going to be other men there. Uh, There was a situation where her phone died because she didn't have it plugged in. And he called her, enraged, accusing her of cheating. That's not appropriate at any point in time. But for this to be happening so quickly is, to me, a huge red flag. And it's really overstepping on his part. Whenever he would hang out with her, he would tell her that she needs to buy pepper spray and or buy a gun to fend off advances of men or weirdos. He would talk about guns all the time to the point where even Alex and some of her friends were like, this guy's kind of weird. He's kind of scary even. So that must have been a conversation they had a number of times, Lauren and Alex, but I think people often say, well, the positives outweigh the negatives, but I think also people don't always know all of the negatives. Sometimes when you're in a relationship, you don't really see everything objectively. Talk about overstepping bounds. You have parents, you have friends who are sometimes concerned about saying the wrong thing because you don't want to drive someone even closer to someone you think is dangerous or a bad fit. And so I think many people are concerned about those things. It's just, if you have someone who's being very possessive, very controlling, 
that's a situation they can take advantage of. And it seems like he was doing that. And it's to the point where Alex gets a hold of a couple of her friends and tells them about the situation, about this Sean guy's actions. And they go to the university housing staff to tell them about this guy, because I'm assuming she lives on campus. And that means if you're not a student there, you are not really supposed to be there. So I think the friends were trying to take it off of Lauren's hands and say, well, we're going to get the campus security involved, the housing authority involved. You know, they're going to be the bad guys that tell him he's got to leave as opposed to us starting a, a confrontation with him. It wasn't even a month in and it felt like he just lived there. And this is the campus. They started to wonder, doesn't he have his own place? Or maybe he doesn't. It's now October and Lauren is exhausted because she's having to go pick this guy up when he gets off work on his late bouncer shifts. Uh, She's having to drive him around. She's having to do all this stuff for him and house him. And her friends are kind of lightly pushing her to say, like, maybe he's not the right one for you. So for whatever reason, she decides to Google him. And first thing she finds out is his name isn't Sean Fields. It's actually Melvin Rowland. And he's not in his mid-20s. He's not a student. He's actually 37 years old. And he spent 10 years in prison for rape. And he's a registered sex offender and has a lengthy criminal record. I don't know how much more scary of a person you can find out you're dating. And he had actually been back to prison since then for parole violations that included failure to complete therapy as well as possessing pornography. At one parole hearing, the media was reporting that he had once dreamed of being a doctor, but his addiction to internet sexual activity had ruined his life. Now, this has thrown Lauren's whole life upside down. She started a relationship with this guy. Of course, he came off very charismatic and, and kind in the beginning, became very controlling, and now she finds out that everything he said is a lie. Not only is it a lie, but it's the worst kind where he is dangerous. So she doesn't know how to break things off with him because, you know, if she didn't know these things, she would probably just send him a text and be like, Hey man, you're, you're coming on a little too strong. I'm not into this, whatever it may be. She could break it off with him. But now that she knows that this guy is an ex-con, a felon, all these things, She's afraid. She's very afraid. She's afraid. And he also has her car because while she was out of town, he borrowed it. She heads back to campus on October 9th. And because she doesn't know how to go about all this, she talks to Alex. Alex has been ready to help her from day one. Alex says, you can break up with him. You should break up with him, but you need to do it somewhere public. I think probably for safety's sake, but uh, she's talking to Alex and this is on the phone and she didn't know it, but 
Melvin was just outside her window watching and listening to her. She hung up the phone at that time and there he was coming into her apartment and saying, you shouldn't be talking to your friends about our relationship. He just walks into her apartment. He doesn't knock or anything because he's so used to just being there. And Lauren now starts confronting him about all of his lies and saying, I can't do this. We need to break up. He tried to lie again because he said that rape charge, that's because there was a woman at a fraternity party who made that whole thing up. And he said he had to do a plea. He said, I only pled guilty because I had to, but she didn't believe him. He still stayed there that night. And according to Alex, Lauren had said to her that every time she tried to make him leave, he forced himself on her. And that happened multiple times. So several times Lauren was raped that evening. Now in the morning, she says she has to go to track practice, but he will end up taking her car and going to run errands for the day. So let's call that what it is, though. He's stealing the car, essentially. Yeah. She's trying to break up with him. She doesn't want him to have her car. She just was making up excuses. After he leaves, she calls Alex to come over. Now, later that day, she will get a text message from a number she doesn't recognize. And it's somebody that's acting as if they're Melvin's friend. And they say, why'd you break up with the big guy? He really loves you. She doesn't know who this is from. She's just assuming, but it's a weird number. So she doesn't know what to make of it. Then a short time later, she gets another text, I guess, from a different friend asking about her car, telling her he'd drop it off because he couldn't stand to look at her. So this text is saying, Melvin's going to drop off your car without, you know, just drop it off. He's not going to see you. And then more texts come in. Texts like, go kill yourself. Now, she knows how Melvin talks at this point. She knows how he texts at this point. And she knows that he misspells certain words and he has all kinds of grammatical errors. And of course, all these texts seem as if they're coming in from Melvin. She calls her mom, tells her she's getting worried, and her mom, Jill, will end up calling the campus dispatch and informing them about what's going on with her daughter. And they offer to escort Lauren to go retrieve her car. So they do. I guess that's one time they do the right thing. A couple of days go by and Lauren gets more texts from Melvin. and. Well, she knows they're from Alvin, but they're claiming he is dead and that it was all her fault. And others said that he'd taken his own life. And others said that he had been in a car accident and that she needed to go to the funeral. So she called the University of Utah police and told them about these text messages. Now, at that point, she did really believe that they weren't true, but this is harassment. And it, they also felt like threats. The officer told her that without threats or anything criminal in nature, there was not much that could be done. So this is an officer saying, these aren't threats. This is not criminal. You know, what do you want us to do? 
Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the day goes longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security system I use and recommend. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. Its advanced technology protects every home, window, and door, while cameras keep watch for suspicious activities 24-7. There's no long-term contract. You'll get the emergency response you need at half the cost of traditional home security at less than a dollar a day. You install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself. I did mine. It was about 20, 25 minutes from start to finish. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can have the professionals do it. Protect your home today. Generation Y listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for fast protect monitoring, just visit simplysafe.com slash GenY. That's simplysafe.com slash GenY. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a lot more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, what would you use it for? Sometimes the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapies help me reflect on choices I've made in my life and helps me make better ones in the future. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GenY today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GenY. I understand that somebody has to really cross a line for the police to get involved. And typically when it's just online threats or text messaging, they don't want to mess with it. But this is escalating quickly. October 13th, Justin, something really takes a turn here because Melvin texted her saying that he had a compromising photograph of the two of them together and that unless she paid him $1,000, he was going to publish it. So now she's nervous. It's not the kind of thing that you can, well, at least she didn't think she could get out of it. She thought she had to pay it. So she's like, my reputation, all the stuff that I'm trying to work so hard for, this could all go down the tubes. She had a Venmo account and she sent him $1,000. but. She didn't just pay him the $1,000. She also then contacted the campus police and then went down to give a statement. And she brought her roommate with her, Alex. I got to say something right here, Aaron. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, She goes down to speak with these two officers who come out. They know why she's coming down. She's told them over the phone. And they greet her in the lobby of the station. And at no point do they take her back to a private room or meeting room. And they were very dismissive. I have spoken to many women who are the victims of sexual assault, who are victims of blackmail, just like this. And detectives and police officers will just talk to them in the lobby of the police station in front of other people and just not even 
acknowledge that this is a very personal, private matter that they might not want to share with others. And I've heard so many of these stories. You know, when I researched this case and heard that these detectives just talked to her in the lobby and were real nonchalant about it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, these these campus police officers, Justin, all they were really doing was saying, you know, you have trouble with your boyfriend. That's not really an issue for us. That's what they're saying to her. They're not impressed. And then they looked him up in the campus directory and said, yeah, he seems like a good guy. I mean, he got a traffic ticket one time, but that wasn't even him. He's not from there. This is what happens when people don't take other people's uh, concerns seriously. I mean, why would Lauren keep going to them? Why would she have a support set? She has Alex with her. And they're just being told, your boyfriend issues aren't our problem. That's what they're being told. But why would you have campus police then? What's the point? They don't even know how to look somebody up correctly. Obviously, Alex and Lauren are not happy with this interaction they had. So they go on to the Salt Lake City Police Department, who then refers them back to the university police, saying that extortion was under the university's jurisdiction. Now, we've established that this guy has made threats to her, has sexually assaulted her, and is now trying to extort money from her and is not a student. But because she is a student and these these crimes committed against her happened on the campus or or on the uh, college property, the city police have zero interest in looking into her case. October 19th, Lauren is even more concerned because no one's getting back to her. So she calls the Salt Lake City police again and gets rerouted back to the campus police. She does hear back from a detective who says, I'm not going to be back at work until October 23rd. That's four days later. You should just call back if Melvin sends you another message or attempts to lure you somewhere. So let's just stop again. Remember, she's already been sexually assaulted multiple times. There's been extortion, threats, harassment. I, I don't understand. There's, there are already crimes being committed and all of the police between the campus and the Salt Lake City police, they're all just like, eh? This is just their job. That's it. It's their job. She has told them everything. Then that weekend, she does something even more. She sends them screenshots to prove that he's a criminal. Yeah. She sends them screenshots of his record, of his police rap sheet. And doesn't she send the screenshot of the incriminating photo? She sends in everything she's got, as well as images that show the harassment she's been getting day after day after day. Now, I don't know what somebody is supposed to do, Aaron, here, uh, to get police or security to get off their butts. I, I have no idea what else she could have said or done. She's done all the footwork for them. At the same time, Melvin's meeting with his parole officer because he's actually violated his probation. 
he was on a social media or dating app, which he's not allowed to do. But because the police and campus security aren't reporting any of this, aren't doing anything with this, his parole officer, his PO, has no idea that he's further violating his parole by engaging with this woman, extorting her, and sexually assaulting her. Total disconnect here. October 22nd, Lauren got a text. And this one claimed to be from the deputy chief of campus police asking her to go to the police station. So she called the campus police and the officer who took that call said, don't respond to that. And Lauren, of course, knows this is Melvin again. What am I going to do? I've already reported this as much as I can. I've sent in all the evidence. No one's doing anything. So Alex said, did you send this to the police? And Lauren said, yes, I have. And, you know, Justin, this is just one more crime, impersonating a police officer. It's a serious deal. Uh, I guess she should have said that he was trying to sell Lucy cigarettes or passing bad checks. I don't know. But they're not interested in helping her out here. I don't think they would have responded to anything. What else would you have done? You just said it. I mean, you could report these other things, but they've not responded to very serious charges. Mm -hmm. It's like there's nothing more that she can do. And unfortunately, Justin, when people who have the power to do something don't do something, we know bad things can happen. So it's uh, 3 p.m. on October 22nd. Melvin will procure a gun, sneak into Lauren's apartment building, and wait for her. And at 8.20 p.m., Lauren's walking home from class, and she's actually on the phone with her mother, speaking with her. And her mom, she hears her daughter in distress. Her mom puts it on speakerphone. Lauren starts screaming, and then the line gets goes dead. And what's happened is Melvin came into the lobby, ambushed her, grabbed her, dragged her outside, and shoved her in the back seat of a car, drove off the campus, and then shot her multiple times. Then Melvin calls another woman who he had met on a dating site and asked her to come pick him up. And they went out to dinner, and then they went back to her place where Melvin took a shower, and then she would end up dropping him off later. So this was disturbing for Lauren's parents because, as you said, Jill had put it on speakerphone. Her husband, Matt, was in the other room doing yoga, I guess, and she had put it on speakerphone because she really just wanted him to be able to hear his daughter. Well, they know something bad happened because there was a scream. And so they're trying to figure out, well, I mean, what happened here? Matt was thinking, well, maybe there was a car accident. Once they couldn't get a hold of her, they knew something really bad must have happened. And of course, their thoughts go to Roland. I mean, by that time, they knew Melvin Roland was bad news and that Lauren was having trouble with him. And so they thought this is connected to him somehow. So her dad, Matt, picked up the phone, dialed 911. Apparently, someone had picked up Lauren's phone in the meantime and got on it. It was a medical student and had found Lauren's computer and backpack. And she said, Lauren's not here. 
her stuff's just laying here. So her parents know that she's been abducted. They know that she's in harm's way. They're calling 911. 911's just saying, oh yeah, we know about this. The 911 call is very frustrating to me because they're trying to explain she just was abducted. Like this just happened. You need to put somebody on it. And they're claiming that uh, they already know about this and not acting like it's a big deal. Now it's 9.55 p.m. Lauren's coach will call Jill to tell her that while searching the parking lot, they found Lauren's body in the backseat of a car. I mean, (laughs) she was literally just abducted. They heard it as it was happening on the phone. And it's not even two hours later, they're being told that your daughter's dead. Steve, for the parents, this was, we need to find her now. And for the authorities, it was, okay, so we know she was abducted. Let us work on this. But the woman that had picked Roland up, taken him out that night, she recognized him on the news. And so she called the police. Well, the Salt Lake City police acted on her tip and were able to find Melvin Roland just after midnight. Now, they were kind of trailing him. And he went into Trinity AME Church. But when the police entered, Melvin Rowland used his gun on himself. So it really seemed like maybe they were going to get him, take him into custody, but it didn't work out. It just adds to the frustration of the whole thing. This guy was on parole. Multiple reports to have somebody look into him, have somebody investigate him, have somebody do something about the crimes he's currently committing while on parole. Oh, and that gun he got, that was from a friend. It's an acquaintance named Nate Vogel, who asked another female to go buy the gun. It's a straw man purchase. She got this guy a gun, who then turned around and gave it to Melvin. I'm, I'm just looking at this thinking, at what point could this have been prevented? At what point could somebody have stepped in and done anything? But even the guy that arranged for this weapon purchase, even he doesn't face any charges. What do they do with him, Justin? They actually end up charging him and then giving him a sentence, but then giving him time served. That's not really a charge to me. <laughs> I, I, I know, but yeah. This is a joke. And what I'm trying to say is, is at no point during any part of this case, does it feel like anybody does anything to hold anybody accountable? Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E 
Byte.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There's a whole, if you look into the media that surrounds this case, journalists investigate this case and they turn over every rock and they show how the campus police were literally a joke in this. Anytime someone says, I've been sexually assaulted, at the very least, they should have looked into the background of the person that the claim was made against. That doesn't hurt anyone. All it does is help to ensure that someone might be saved. You're helping someone at that point, maybe helping many people. Little things that should have been done were never done. No one asked questions. No one took anyone seriously. You have Lauren and Alex going to different police officers or detectives and saying, please help us. And they're being turned away because, oh, it's not our jurisdiction or your boyfriend problems aren't our problems. And this is where it ends up. And you'll have people saying, well, we didn't have 2020. We didn't know it was going to go down this road like this. Well, if you had done your job. If one person had looked this guy up and, oh, I'm sorry, Lauren had already looked him up and given them all the information. They didn't even have to do anything. They just had to go arrest him for parole violation. This is low-hanging fruit. All they had to do was verify that the person she was claiming he was, was the person she claimed he was. That's it. That's such a minor step. Now, of course, the violent past of Melvin Rowland is dug up. The media pulls it up. There was an attempted rape of a teen in 2004. Um, There was that 2012 parole hearing. He admitted to raping a teenager and two other women. There was a 2016 admission that he was threatening that if an agent were to come and conduct a field visit, he might become violent. Everything you say or do, right, Justin? So anyway, uh, November 2nd, University of Utah President Ruth Watkins said there was going to be an independent investigator to look at actions taken by individual officers in the weeks before McCluskey was killed. But this was something that I just can't understand because she had first stated that there wouldn't be a look into individual actions. And it feels like every step of the way, people are dragging their feet. I don't understand this. That investigation, by the end of it, claims that the... uh The college didn't do anything wrong. How do we know that's true? Because no officers at the campus were held accountable, right? At that point, they took the report, I guess. But if that's all they're doing, then why even have a warm body doing that job? Just have the students log into a website and file the report themselves if it's just going to go into a trash can. I mean, seriously. This is being investigated, and journalists are looking into it. They start pulling a lot of interesting information and police reports. You remember when she sent the officer at the University of Utah all all the photos and screenshots and everything, including the explicit photo of herself that she was being extorted for. This officer, Miguel Darris, He saved that photo to his personal phone and then went and showed it off to his coworker. 
He's literally re-victimizing the victim here. He's literally taking the photo, the evidence of this crime being committed against somebody. And now he has it and he's showing it off to his coworkers. But there's no wrongdoing here, Aaron. There's no everybody was doing what they were supposed to. Everyone was on the up and up. Well, I do want to talk about this a little bit because as part of the push to discover more information about this case, the Salt Lake City Tribune, they said they had two independent people verify that Miguel Darris did that. Okay. But his attorney came out and said that when his phone was asked for, investigators were able to take his phone because he gave it willingly and downloaded all of the contents of the phone and were unable to find any explicit images of Laura McCluskey. Now, you don't have to have it on your phone necessarily. You can also just pull it up on your email. And his attorney did admit that he used his personal cell phone as his work phone as well, and that the photos, explicit photos of Lauren were in his email. So how can he be so sure that he never showed anyone any explicit photo of Lauren using his phone? I ask you. It takes all of two seconds to delete said photos before you hand it over to law enforcement. I mean, unless they had a forensic, you know, data recovery team scanning his phone and doing a recovery on it, they they didn't look that close. But his lawyers trying to say, no, 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 we didn't find anything. There's no evidence of that, which is so typical of most lawyers when they're you know, going after somebody or defending somebody there, you know, they'll say, well, there's no evidence. So you can't say that completely leaving out. Well, he had the photo and he showed it to other people. It's been independently verified, but because you didn't find the photo on his phone. No. Yeah. He's good. It's just, it's maddening. He, He doesn't even have to delete it again. If he pulls up the email, I just, I don't understand this idea that somehow just because they didn't find it, it never existed. It's frankly insulting at this point. And it, it's very clear that people care more about their own butts than about protecting the public at this point, at least in this case, when we're talking about these officers that were approached by Lauren and by Alex. The University of Utah police chief, Dale Brophy, some of his comments are just unbelievable because he's come out and said, oh, we're making improvements. We're doing this and that. We have new rules. But Miguel Darris, while he was still a member of that campus police, signed a statement verifying the new rules, okay, to make things better, right? So that he would know how to handle domestic abuse or other potentially violent concerns, what have you. And a week after he signed that, he forgot everything he had talked, he had learned because there was another woman who was in trouble and he interviewed her with her her alleged abuser right next to her and didn't look into his background at all. And that man even said, I better call my probation officer. And that didn't set off an alarm bell. He didn't even ask about it. So again, what's the point of having someone there to protect the public at the university of Utah, right? If they're not going to do their job, what's the point? I think it gave Lauren and the family, a a false sense of hope. They reported this. 
One detective said, hey, uh, I'm out of town for a few days. Call me back if you run into any problems. At that point, she's not being helped. There's the whole uh, dateline called she did everything right. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you do everything right. It doesn't matter if you do everything wrong. Nobody deserves to be treated like this. Nobody deserves to be failed by the system like this. And if they are, how come there's not something in place to hold them accountable so it doesn't happen again? Unfortunately, Justin, the only thing people understand is money. And so the parents sued the University of Utah for $56 million. And part of their lawsuit, they brought in an expert, a former Supreme Court judge from the state of Utah to help them with this lawsuit. And what are they doing? They're trying to make sure this doesn't happen again. And the only way to do that is to hit people in the wallet because money talks. And we're seeing that in this case, that the parents are doing the right thing and they filed a lawsuit so they could make a change here. The lawsuit essentially is specifying emotional trauma, the loss of Lauren's educational opportunities, And they said that any money raised through the litigation, they promise, will go to this foundation. The foundation is promoting Lauren's Law, and it's supposed to hold gun owners responsible for what people do with their firearm if they let someone borrow the gun or loan it out. You know, if you, say, have an AR 15 and you give it to a felon (laughs) and they, go and shoot up a school, well, whoever loaned the gun out, whoever handed that gun to the criminal is going to be held responsible. Now, the weird thing, Aaron, is we already have laws on the books for this, but as we saw, they don't like enforcing them. They don't like holding people responsible. Maybe they'll go after a a bartender or a bar if they overserve somebody Maybe they'll go after uh, a drug dealer if, you know, one of their drugs kills somebody, but hand someone a gun and they turn around and shoot somebody in the head. Nah. So Lauren's law is literally saying, enforce your gun laws. It's insane. Lauren's law, known as HB 190, it's obviously something that enrages some gun rights advocates. But from what I understand, it's written so specifically that it would really only apply to people who, like in this case, knowingly gave a gun to someone who's a criminal. You're negligently handing a firearm off to somebody who could do something dangerous with it. And so all it's saying is you need to be responsible. If you're going to hand your gun off, you don't just do that. Know who you're giving your gun to. Unfortunately, you have people... Uh, like Vogel, who arranged for a purchase of a firearm to give to a criminal. And he used it to murder a young woman. It's something that should not happen. When you are a parent of the murder victim, you want to do everything you can to make sure it never happens again. And so how can you look at Jill McCluskey in the face and say, you're wrong about this? Really? Because she's the one who suffered the loss. She and Matt lost their daughter. Alex lost her roommate and her friend. When is someone going to step up and say, I'm sorry this happened to you? 
Because as far as I can tell, this whole case is a bunch of excuses and a bunch of why are you coming at me with this information? This is why horrible things happen because you have people who don't give a damn. This case is one of the most glaring examples of what happens when you look at someone and say, I don't care. When I hear people say like, oh yeah, we need to report crime. We need, you know, if you see something, say something. And in this situation, Aaron, oddly enough, Melvin told her that she should buy a gun to defend herself. Melvin was the only one that actually gave her good advice. She was on her own the whole time. She just didn't know it. It feels like to me that her parents, that her friend Alex, and there were probably others as well, tried to give her the right advice. Because in this world, you would expect if you go to a police officer and you say, there's a criminal, he's making threats against me, he's sexually assaulted me, he's stolen my car, what have you, that they would do something about it. But as we said when we started this show, the difference between our expectations and reality sometimes are shockingly different. So if anyone's out there that is being stalked, is being harassed, not only should you tell law enforcement, but you need to tell all your friends and family. You need to inform everybody about this because they might be the ones that save you because we have an illusion of safety that society has some order to it that's there to protect us. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Generation Y podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.